Welcome back to middle school. It's a zoo out there, so just be cool. Don't speak too loud, try to fit in. But if you don't, then you can be in outfit repeater. And you better believe that in outfit repeater is the best thing you can be. Just be chill, smiling, wave. If you stay with us, you'll be okay. It's rough out there, but you will always have a seat with the outfit repeater. Everyone and welcome to the Outfit Repeaters, an unofficial Lizzie McGuire recap podcast. I'm your host Marissa Cantor, and with me, as always, is Sam Chung. Hello, everybody! It is great to be back once again. Yes, and especially great today because the Outfit Repeaters has its very first guest with us today is Ivan Vukovic, and we are so excited that you are here, Ivan. I'm excited to be here too. Thanks for having me. So I thought that we should start off with what brought you to the Outfit Repeaters? What is your relationship with Lizzie McGuire? Who are you? Brief intro. Go. Oh, what brought me here? <laughs> uh, happenstance. Um, uh, so uh, I actually, uh, th- that's probably a better uh, question for you than for me, because I was perplexed as to why you chose me to be your first <laughs> guest. Um, so, so so, the backstory here is that, um, uh, you know, you're friends with my wife, Rachel, um, and she has your show on um pretty much uh, in the background uh, most weeks. And, uh, you know, I I probably get to hear a good like 55% of each episode just walking in and out of the living room. Um, And I think one day I made an offhand uh, remark to her that I have a particularly strong opinion about the episode that we're going to be discussing today. Um, And I'd say the rest is history. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. First guess, like this could be the start of something whole other level. Yeah, this is a big day for the outfit repeaters. Everything is coming together (laughs) in this episode today because we have a guest, we have a question, like this is all just going to be great. I can already feel it in my fingers and toes, in the words of the great Bill Nye. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Bill Nye wrote those lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) He did, absolutely. And on top of that, I've added so many new sounds to the soundboard. So many sounds. Yes, Sam spent like all morning really just like tricking out the soundboard. Ivan, are you familiar with my soundboard? I'm not familiar. Is the is it all drops from the show? It, it is. So the soundboard uh, here, I've organized it now by uh, character. So basically I have five pages. Sam McGuire, who has some great quotes. Sam McGuire was actually the kind of jumping off point for our soundboard because he gave us this gem. So much drama. And since then, I've added a whole bunch of Lizzie clips, a whole bunch of Matt clips, some Miranda clips, including one from the episode today, a couple Gordo clips. I'm very excited to break out this soundboard throughout the episode. So if you happen to hear the sound of a random clip, it's the soundboard coming to life in this episode. Coolio. And are these all clips from episodes that you've watched thus far? Or are you just kind of adding them along as you go? Yes. So I'm adding clips as we go through the episodes. I don't want to spoil myself. That's been kind of my MO from this from the beginning is that I don't want to know any spoilers. I'm going one episode at a time. I've never seen it before. 
and it's been quite a journey so, so far. So so not to make you retread on your exposition here, but so my understanding is Marissa, you're you're a diehard fan. You grew up with the show. Sam, you didn't watch it uh, when it was on uh, any particular reason. Yeah, I wasn't really that much of a Disney Channel person. And I don't know why, but growing up, for whatever reason, I watched a lot of Boomerang, like old cartoons, like Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. And then my mom, once Netflix started coming out, she was like, here's X, Y, and Z that you should watch. Here's Gilligan's Island. Here's like, and it was all the shows that she had grown up watching. And so I just kind of missed Disney Channel. I just missed it. See, I'm envious because I wanted to have Boomerang growing up, but that was one of those like premium cable channels that were up in the 300s, right? Oh, um, I don't know. I had DirecTV. It was in the 200s for me. But yeah, it's up there. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice, Sam. Must be nice. <laughs> There's just a little bit closer. Yeah, but Sam in turn missed out on all the Disney Channel content that I think is so, so quintessentially like 2000s kid. Like he has no frame of reference for any of it. Well, so 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 it's really interesting because like this era of Disney Channel was like my time. Like I was like right in, around middle school, same age as all the characters. Um, you two are, I think, a few years younger than me. So, you know, not not the exact same like synchronization. But like, when did you, like, I guess more so for Marissa, like when did you start watching Disney Channel and when did you stop? Like, what was your era? I don't really remember when I started. I think just as like my earliest memories of watching TV was Disney Channel. I think I was like five or six when Lizzie McGuire was actually airing. So I think all of my more vivid memories come in like just rewatching the episodes over and over again. I probably stuck with it until I was maybe like 12 or 13, like 2008, like Camp Rock with Demi Lovato and the Jonas Brothers was probably like the end of my my Disney Channel era. Was that like also late Hannah Montana years too? Yes, I was very much Hannah Montana, Wizards of Waverly Place. Um, by the time it turned into Jesse and like Lemonade Mouth and Descendants, I was... Oh, see, that that's unfamiliar territory for me. Like, yeah. you, you, you can stop. You've gone too far. <laughs> yeah, so definitely, yeah, the probably 2003 to 2000 eight nine ish yeah so for me it was like like late 90s through probably right around the time that lizzie mcguire ended so that this was peak for me gotcha so have you seen all of lizzie mcguire how familiar are you with the world of lizzie mcguire um so i mean i was i mean again i was like a really avid disney channel viewer um at the time i, I think i even like vividly remember the the, the night the first episode of lizzie mcguire aired it, it was it was a big deal I think I kind of got out of it toward, uh, you know, probably like the last third of its run. Um, I, I was going through an episode guide uh, of Lizzie McGuire recently just to kind of see if I can get a kind of holistic refresher on like the comprehensive chronology of the show. And I just do not even vaguely um, recognize any of the descriptions of some of those uh, later episodes, like early years for sure. Like I, th those were all, um, yeah, just like so so integral to like the the viewing experience of a preteen of that time like you had lizzie mcguire you had even stevens like all those disney channel shows but yeah i think it was during like the the toward the end of the show's run um i've actually never even seen the movie like that that was probably around the time that i dropped off so yeah i i'm very much uh an early episodes enthusiast but you know some of those later ones i i may actually end up watching for the first time on disney plus in the near future 
Yeah, I mean, we'll be recapping it. So <laughs> perfect opportunity. <laughs> so today we are talking about episode 124, Night of the Day of the Dead. In this episode, it's Halloween and Lizzie's school is organizing a big Halloween party. Too bad Kate's in charge, which means she gets final say on everything. But when Kate disrespects Miranda's ancestral skeleton decorations, spooky things start to happen. Could it be the work of the spirits or Miranda's offended ancestors? Question mark. That was a long intro. That was a long one. That was longer than usual. I know. And this episode aired on October 5th, 2001. Cool. Yeah. All right. Ivan, why yes. is this such a pivotal episode of Lizzie McGuire? Uh, it's not... I wouldn't say it's the most pivotal, but it definitely at the time elicited a strong reaction from me. Um, but it is it's very woven into uh, like some spoilers for the episode. Do we are, are we OK just like unveiling the, the ending right off the bat? I think that's fine. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we can do that. And then we'll yeah. circle back around. Right. So in this episode, during this uh, school Halloween party, um, a bunch of spooky things start happening. You have some toy skeleton eyes that start uh, glowing. Um, people start um, kind of like disappearing or getting transformed into a cup of dirt, um, including uh, Lizzie's brother, Matt. Um, and then at the end, you find out that the whole thing was orchestrated um, by Miranda's parents, who I guess were trying to teach Kate a lesson. I, 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 I'm So th this is where it really falls apart because uh, Mr. and Mrs. Sanchez, as they refer to them like four times in a single minute in one scene, <laughs> like they went through some really great lengths to, to pull this whole thing off to the point where I was like left to conclude they must be some kind of like prop designers in Hollywood, right? Like this show is, is set somewhere in like a Southern Californian suburb, right? I think so. Marissa and I have gone back and forth on this a lot. And we go back and forth on whether they're based out of like the tri-state area or California. But this episode was very strong California vibes. Right. We got like neighborhoods called like Rancho. Rancho Vista. Rancho Vistas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just, just very generic California. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Strong California uh, vibe. Right. So so you find out that, you know, everything was a ruse that was, uh, you know, pulled off uh, by Miranda's parents, I, I think, in collaboration with uh, Lizzie and Miranda and some of the other characters as well. Um, but the we were, as the audience, led so strongly to believe early on that real spooky things were happening that it all just didn't really add up or make sense in the end. Like there would be a lingering shot of the uh, toy skeletons whose eyes start glowing to the benefit of no one but us, the audience. Um, and then you have just some things that cannot be explained uh, with within the context of like, you know, these suburban parents and, and what they are capable of doing in what looked like, uh, you know, 2000 square foot school cafeteria. Yeah, the logic really just falls apart. And also for me, it, it's also like what great lengths they went to to humiliate a 12 year old girl. Like the fact that parents were behind that. Right. Well, and it was also it, it was really more so Lizzie that had a beef with Kate in the episode because uh, Kate took away her uh, like dream responsibility for for the party, which which was really yeah. weird in its own right. <laughs> like Lizzie wanted to dress up as the vampire uh, mistress and she even like used the phrase, I think, like looking slinky, which yes, like, we were we, I mean, we watching it there. now in, in, in 2020, like, yeah, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was something. Um, but 
Yeah, so Lizzie was really upset because Kate essentially promised uh, Lizzie this uh, responsibility or this role in the party in exchange for cleaning out the janitor's closet that'll be used as the dungeon for uh, this uh, this personality in the party. And then Kate, you know, basically did a bait and switch and said that I'm going to be dressed up as the vampire mi mistress and, and Lizzie, I guess became a clown who who handed out balloons instead. So so it was really Lizzie that was more upset with Kate than Miranda, but Miranda, you know, I like may, maybe you can kind of fill in the blanks, but I feel like this was one of the few episodes where Miranda's heritage really kind of like came center stage. It was never really something that they highlighted too often otherwise, but you know, she she made this uh plea to like get these uh, you know, decorations in the party during like the pre-planning meeting, and when Kate shot them down, like all of a sudden there was like this mob mentality that arose where like Lizzie said like oh yeah. it, it's cool to have things from other cultures and all of a sudden everybody was just convinced immediately and started rallying for it um but like I, I never felt like Miranda felt so burned and and so upset by that to then in turn go to her parents and say like hey do you want to help me pull off the greatest heist in middle school history <laughs> I loved the heist. I thought it was great. But I hear what you're saying. I think there are a couple of gaps to fill, definitely. So, Marissa, do you want to dive into the chronology of the episode? Sure. So, we start with our opening scene, and Matt and Lanny are mapping out their Halloween battle plan, right? Like, they're the houses with the best candy, the ones that give out the full-size bars, um, this is where we get the, they're taking the bus to Rancho Vista, which is giving us our strong Cali vibes. Apparently somebody in the neighborhood gives out dollar bills. Like who's giving <laughs> out money on Halloween? <laughs> I have that note. Right. And and they, they, they didn't say which denomination necessarily, though. They I mean, if it's literally just one dollar bills, that's <laughs> that's almost worse than candy. Right. <laughs> I, I maybe with inflation, maybe in 2001, you can get more candy for a dollar. I don't know. In, in 2001, you could get a king size candy bar for a dollar. Yeah. So maybe it's worth it. I don't know. But I just found that funny. And then, you know, Lizzie comes into the scene. They bicker. Matt says that she should go as a troll, all these, all this typical bickering. And then the parents come in and this is where we get Matt is not going to be going trick or treating. Matt is going to the Halloween Fright Night at Lizzie's school. And at first he's disappointed until Lizzie very clearly does not want him there. And then Matt is just like all in to make his sister's night miserable. This felt super random to me. He's the only child from, like, <laughs> well, there. <laughs> clearly we find out that um, Sam and Joe McGuire wanted to have a little alone time. Oh, m more on that later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, Lanny's in this scene, right? And yes. They're like Lanny and Matt are both planning out going trick-or-treating. And then Lanny just disappears. Yeah, what happens They're to like, Lanny? Lanny I mean, sorry, you don't get to go trick-or-treating now. Matt's not going trick-or-treating. You're not going either. He didn't even get to go to the Fright Night. I know, he wasn't at Fright <laughs> Night. Where, where, what happened to Lanny? Yeah, because, I mean, is, is, he, is he flying solo now? I would assume. I, I say what happened to Lanny a lot in these episodes. It's kind of my <laughs> refrain. This, so so not, not only was this a lazy way to write Matt into the A-plot of the episode, but you also didn't really need him there, right? No. Like, n nothing that happens later on, like, like Matt is super integral to, to the plot or the atmosphere. Yeah, like the scene later on where they just come back and they're like, Larry was talking to Matt and he changed into a cup of dirt. Yeah, he disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> and like that all happened over the course of a commercial break. 
Like, what happened? I know. And it's so it's so disappointing because um, up to this point, I think what we keep coming back to in our podcast is that the best episodes come when Lizzie and Matt are together in the A plots. And this was just such a, just kind of threw a wrench in that. Or it was just like a missed opportunity also. And then we cut to theme song and then we are at school and it's very much Kate is at the head of the classroom um, giving all these instructions for who's in charge of what for the big fright night. Yeah, this um, brought back shades of Come Fly With Me when she was party planning committee for that party. It's like every 10 episodes are going to throw a party. Party, party, party at this school. It's interesting, too, because this is something that student council would be organizing. Technically, Tudgeman should be planning all of these things. As class president. As class president. (laughs) (laughs) He wants to. He wants to real bad. He has so many Star Wars references. That's what I was super confused about. So it makes sense for like Kate and even Lizzie and Miranda to be part of like a party planning committee or a student council. It seemed really weird that Tudgeman was part of that same group. Like, like whatever politics are getting <laughs> Kate elected into this council, like, probably wouldn't be very favorable to Larry. No, not at all. And I wonder about Kate's popularity sometimes. It's like other kids have to see how mean she is. No? Like, how does she maintain this popularity? Yeah, it's very fear-based. It is. Yeah, we get her giving instructions. Um, I liked the line about the soccer team painting soccer balls like heads for the Guess how many human heads are in a barrel of heads game? Yeah, how many times can you say heads in one sentence? (laughs) Direct quote. Yeah, Tudgman starts his string of impressions. All I could think, and this is going to go over your head because you're not a Star Wars person, but like, thank God this episode was taped before Attack of the Clones because if he had broken out Jar Jar Binks, chairs would have been thrown. I would have been out. I would have been like, (laughs) I cannot finish this episode. (laughs) <laughs> I don't need a Jar Jar Binks impression from Larry Tudgman. <laughs> yeah, I have no opinions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he went for kind of the obvious impressions too. Like there, uh, th- there was nothing. I mean, I guess it was edgy for for Disney Channel for them to uh, do references to a franchise that they didn't own at that point in time yet. But yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was actually kind of the prime time to do a Jar Jar Binks impression too. Because you're right, like pre Attack of the Clones, post Phantom Menace, but like. I mean, good good on Disney for reading the room that like to, to realize that, hey, e- even the, the youth of the nation don't want to hear that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Get Jar Jar Binks out of here. Again, this all means nothing to me. Sorry. All right. <laughs> it's okay. So Miranda speaks up and she wants to display skeleton dolls for El Dia de los Muertos. And Kate's immediate reaction is just really sets the tone for her in this episode, she's very insensitive. She says, ew, ew, David, why? <laughs> Pulling out the Shit's Creek <laughs> references. Yeah, and this gave me a clip from my soundboard, which I will play now. You should so not diss my dead ancestors. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a good line. She should so not diss Miranda's dead ancestors. It's very rude. Okay, so I think watching this episode... The immediate comparison that comes to mind just by virtue of it being a Disney Channel show is Coco, right? Because Coco is like 15 years later, this is how we're going to do Day of the Dead. So I don't know. I had seen Coco before because I'm a big Pixar fan. And that seemed very like colorful, very vibrant. This seemed kind of like 
we're just going to throw this in, and it seemed kind of unplanned. It's just like, drop it and see what happens. I mean, you realize this had maybe one three hundredth of Coco's budget, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but writing is a no-budget enterprise. You can write on on nothing, so, you know. I think, again, the representation here is very of its time. Yeah, um, I mean, as the, the white guy from Seattle that was brought into weigh in on the Dia de los Fuertes episode, um, I mean, I, I will say for what it's worth that like this was my first exposure to that holiday in like any media representation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it put it on the radar for me, at least. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think I can say the same. Sam never saw it. So. I never saw this episode. <laughs> this was my first time watching this episode. That's true. So, yeah, Kate thinks that it's lame. And Lizzie, this is the moment we kind of, you already mentioned this, Ivan, where Lizzie says she thinks it's great to have stuff from other countries. And everyone just starts mob cheering. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're pumped. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it's not like this like turns into any like long-term political clout for for Lizzie or Miranda. It's like, you know, they're, they got the entirety of the party planning council on their side for this one decision that, like, I mean, do they even know these people? Have we seen any of them in, or have we even seen this committee in any other episode? I think Just Come Fly With Me, right? Yes, there was a school dance episode. There was a school dance episode where they all wanted to dress as Rat Pack people, like Frank Sinatra. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually, I, I rewatched that one recently, because um, I think uh, Rachel in particular wanted uh, me to get a 2020 lens on like how misogynistic like Gordo was as oh. a character. <laughs> and, 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 Ra- like, Rachel and I talk about this all the time, about how much... We hate Gordo. No, no, I, I do have some thoughts there about about that whole topic, if, if, if we're ready to go into tangent land here for a moment. Sure. What are your thoughts on Gordo? So so my thoughts on Gordo is that he, he he's kind of the victim of the writers deciding that the one guy in the group was going to be the quirky, nerdy guy. Because, like, I feel like through... 2001 writing like this was really the only way they knew how to write a character like this was to have him be you know condescending like not have anything in common with anybody else like not really know how to relate to girls and like if they had made like Miranda the weird one for instance it would have like it would have added like a whole different dynamic to the show because like as it is I think Lizzie and Miranda are almost too similar and that's why like when Miranda disappears from the show later on you don't really feel her absence that that heavily because it doesn't really remove much personality like everything that Miranda can like jump in with Lizzie can 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 have that exact same like worldview I feel for for Gordo because it was really just the writers not knowing how to write somebody like that because back then like the idea of a nerd was like it was just like a far less inclusive concept so I think they just like threw it at the guy in the group and that's why we got what we got. Yeah I think one of my challenges with Gordo is that he's the most inconsistent character as well by far like the way he acts in one episode will completely negate any of his worldviews from previous episodes. I watched the previous episode uh, before this one, like just just to kind of get a sense of what was going on in the show, like more broadly uh, outside of just this one isolated episode. And like the previous episode, which is the, the one where Lizzie becomes a model. So he spends that entire episode like basically being a servant to her in the like hopes that he can ride on the coattails of her like 
Trek to popularity. And then in this episode, she's like, can you help me clean out this closet? And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that just because the popular kids want it. I know. It was so strange. And the reason I thought when that happened was like, maybe if Lizzie hadn't like completely destroyed her reputation at the end of the previous episode, she'd have a little bit more clout <laughs> now. But because she came out on the model stage dressed as a troll and everybody had to see that for her to get out of her contract, I think that just that that will ruin her. And like I said, at the end of the last podcast, I think that was a bad decision. It will follow her around for the rest of her life. But I also think this show, like each episode is so clearly especially in the last maybe like four or five episodes we've watched feel like they're in their own universe and like nothing happened before and like nothing will happen after nothing tracks and that becomes so apparent when you're like binging them like this like nothing makes sense well marissa i I think you'll remember i i reached out to you like when you first announced that you were doing the show and I, i i asked like are you reviewing these in, in like air date order or production order? Because that was a big yeah. sticking point for me is like, uh, like the, the chronology of the show is just all over the place. Like, do we know, like, are we at a point now where like these episodes are airing like in the order they were shot? Or or is that the reason that all the characters are so consistent? Because like any growth is just being kind of presented out of order right now. I don't think we know. I think it's still a little bit out of order. Yeah. No, it's very, very apparent in like the first like 10 to 12 episodes that like everything is just wrong. Um, Now it's leveled out, I think, a little bit. But I do still feel like each episode feels like its own universe. Well, I think what makes it weird, right, is that the show aired throughout the summer and throughout the entire summer they were in school. And then the school year started, and now they're still in school, and now it's Halloween. So it's like, did we expect everything before this to happen in the period of, like, September to October? Or are they just perpetually in school? It was an eventful first month. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Yeah. So, yes, Miranda gets her skeletons in by virtue of the mob. And Lizzie, we find out that she really wants to be the vampire mistress in the Dungeon of Terror. Her cartoon alter ego says that she would look so slinky and cool, which (laughs) made both of us pause. That was a choice. I guarantee you that there was never a single Disney Channel movie or show prior to this that used the word slinky. Besides Toy Story. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm surprised this episode was still rated G. (laughs) I know, slinky. Between that, mistress is even a little bit dungeon dungeon yeah <laughs> i know i mean like i respect lizzie wanting to look slinky and cool like that i have no problem with that but imagine calling anything slinky right now i can't <laughs> <laughs> i honestly cannot that imagine word was that. honestly jarring to hear it is but anyways this gives an opening for kate to say that she can be the vampire mistress but lizzie has to clean out the janitor's utility room where the dungeon will be And this, to me, made very little sense because would the janitor want this? (laughs) (laughs) Where's all this stuff going to go? Yeah, where'd they move the stuff? They're like, oh, it's clean now. I can just imagine the janitor coming in the next day like, what happened? Well, also, like later in the episode, the the room that like dungeon room doesn't really get used for any practical purpose for the party. Like if, if the role of the vampire mistress is to just like linger in there and, and greet party guests, like Kate basically bailed on her duties. It must've just been a, a way for Kate to humiliate Lizzie. 
That's the only explanation. Yeah, like clean out this closet that I will not end up using. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's extremely on brand, but Lizzie agrees. Then we cut to that closet, and Lizzie says it's grosser than she thought it would be, but to me, it just looked like a closet. I don't know. It didn't look too... It didn't look that gross. It's a bit disorganized. Just looked like a closet. Cleaning it out will be worth it to be a vampire hottie. That was the next <laughs> that was the next quote. <laughs> yeah, we talked a little bit already about how Gordo won't help until Lizzie <laughs> decides to pimp out her cousin Heather. <laughs> that was weird. It's very weird. It was also really weird that she said that she like lured him there with the promise of a hamburger. Gordo was very food motivated. Like in the la- in that last episode, like he was like just binging on like that shrimp toast at the party, and and now you can get him to clean out closets with the promise of a hamburger. Like I mean, this is probably one of the other co- inconsistencies with his character, right? Like just his motivations for ever doing anything. Yeah, totally. It doesn't make very much sense, but. I just feel, I feel very bad for Heather. She just got looped into something and she has no idea what it is. And Gordo's response is very on board with this. He wants to go out with Heather. Yeah, Gordo's thirsty. Really is. And then we get a classic montage. (laughs) There has to be at least one montage every episode. (laughs) Of them cleaning out the closet. And then we cut to the hallway afterwards where this is the moment where we get the bait and switch where... Lizzie tells Kate that the closet is clean and Kate goes, well, great. I decided that I am going to be the vampire dungeon mistress who we now know has a name, Vampira. They, they dug deep for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lizzie will be a clown. Kate decided that Vampira needs to be someone tall and desirable, which is her. And then at this point, Cartoon Lizzie kind of sinks into a coffin in her slinky outfit and then reemerges as a clown. Why was that the only other option for Lizzie, though? Because Miranda comes dressed as the cat in the hat, which which is, you know, like not really on theme, but it's a way better costume than a clown. Yeah, I thought the cat in the hat thing was an underreported story, but we can talk more about that when we talk about the outfits. I think that that's <laughs> definitely an opportunity. But yeah, let's get some B story in here. Yes. So we cut to the McGuire house and Matt is rifling through the fridge. He needs some gross stuff for his costume. He's going as himself, but inside out. And for some reason, he wants his costume to incorporate food. It can't be something not food related. It has to be food. So Joe vetoes spaghetti, uh, vetoes caviar. She's got caviar in the fridge. Yeah, who has caviar in their fridge? <laughs> Joe McGuire. What do they do? She says it's for her and Sam later that evening, but then you see them eating chicken pot pie, which would not pair well. Uh, yeah, that's that's a gross combination. But is that as gross as Sam and Joe McGuire going full makeout scene? I know. Like, we never really see the McGuire parents as sexual adult <laughs> beings and they just really threw that at us yeah i was not prepared for that i did not want it i think (laughs) i do think we need to make note of the fact that uh matt decided to go with sausages in in the end for his costume which he doesn't actually end up incorporating like you don't see him with raw meat hanging off his uh costume later in the episode or anything but he also just pulls out like the biggest bowl of sausage like 
I've ever seen a like four person suburban family ever need to have in their fridge. And uh, presumably <laughs> it just all goes to waste because it never actually ends up making it onto the costume in any shape or fashion. <laughs> As a vegetarian, I can say one would have been too many. So when he pulled out like seven or eight, I was like, oh. Well, as a vegetarian, can you imagine one of your friends showing up to a party with raw meat just like dangling off of their outfit? Yeah, can you imagine like how that would smell after even like an hour in the costume? It'd be Ugh, terrible. Not a good choice. Now we cut back to the A story and we are in the gym and we get our first introduction of the Sanchez parents. It's a big moment. In the show. And it's weird because before the parents come in, Kate is being really mean to Miranda. And then as soon as the parents walk in, Kate does like a complete 180. It's so strange. Yeah, it's a very like saccharine, like, I love your parents. <laughs> and she has nothing to benefit from it either. No. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they're giving her anything. And I, I thought for a second, I'm like, is this something that Kate does with all parents? But it's not because... In the camping episode, or the field trip episode, where Joe McGuire is like the chaperone, she's pretty rude to Joe McGuire. She is. So I don't really understand what this is. Yeah, you can't be both the bully, but also the people pleaser. That's just like usually not how it goes. Mr. Sanchez says that El Dia de los Muertos is his favorite holiday. Kate says that their stuff will make Fright Night so much more interesting. And at this point, I put, I put in my notes, Kate, question mark, Karen, question mark. Miranda's dad comes through with a great dad joke that I appreciated. He wants Miranda to give him a hand with the rest of this stuff. And he pulls out a severed hand. Love a good dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good stuff. Um, and this is where we get... The line of that episode. You should so not diss my dead ancestors. <laughs> because Kate tells Miranda to get all of her stupid junk off the refreshment table. She refers to Miranda's ancestors as stupid junk. That's rude. They're ancestors. They're not junk. And, and by the way, there was nothing about those decorations that didn't fit with the aesthetic of a typical Halloween party. Like the, the <laughs> fact that Kate was so opposed to them just like makes me think that she does not know how to decorate for a Halloween party. <laughs> I would agree. Nothing. They were like skeletons. I guess the one thing, right, was the tamale. Did that come? Was that part of this scene? Right. They need to have a tamale to offer up to the the dead, which is going to come into play later. Yeah, look at that. Look at that great setup that, <laughs> that these writers put together. And also, Miranda goes on to say that if you do get the ancestors mad, bad stuff can happen. Yeah, and this is where the skeleton eyes light up. And Ivan, you were referring to this earlier, <laughs> but why did they Why did they light up? Well, honestly, at 11 years old, this scene infuriated me by the time I watched this episode a second time. Because like we, we knew the twist was that there is nothing supernatural going on here, and yet the, like Disney Channel and the writers felt compelled to, to insult my intelligence as an 11-year-old boy. <laughs> by, by throwing out this red herring that didn't pay off in the end. Yeah, it was so strange. I want to know, Sam, as this was your first watch, where did you think the episode was going? Yeah, so I thought that we were going to get some sort of supernatural element because the show has introduced that in the past, right? In the Bra episode, when Matt is trying to learn karate or try to be, is it Bruce Lee's sidekick? Jet Lee's. Jet Lee's sidekick, Jet Lee. sorry. David Carradine. Yep. 
shows up. And then at the end of the episode, he just fades into like nothingness. So there's precedent for like a supernatural kind of thing with this show. And so I thought that that was kind of where we were going. I thought there was going to be a return, not necessarily of David Carradine, but of a supernatural thing that happens. So at this point in the episode, that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought that, you know, the spirits were going to actually come to life and wreak havoc upon them in some way. That clearly was not what happened. I would have been so much more satisfied if the episode (laughs) ended with David Carradine coming back and him being behind it all. That would have been quite a plot twist. Yes, I love an alternate universe where that is the case. I don't know. That's what I thought would happen. It's not what happened, unfortunately. So you were caught up in the supernatural of it all is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a little supernatural, especially when the lights on the skeleton glowed for no reason. Right? Yeah, I thought there was going to be a spirit. Yes. So then we cut to the Fright Night event itself. You know, we had subtitles on and it said music playing, but like, was it? Yeah, I'm curious. Ivan, when you watched this episode, and maybe you didn't note this, but the music was very quiet in this party scene. I'm not sure if you noticed the same thing. Oh, I mean, well, I wasn't watching it with subtitles, but... Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere of the party was just all off. I mean, I mean, first of all, there were 14 people there total. Like, it, it was it was barely a party. Um, and yeah, again, everybody was just concentrated in that one room. And it just made it made it seem even more impractical that anybody could pull off a major like supernatural hoax here. Well, everybody was in the dungeon waiting for the vampire mistress. <laughs> Yeah, it was very much like less Fright Night and more like Halloween themed school dance. Mm. That's what that's what it ended up becoming. So yeah, Lizzie obviously is dressed like a clown here. She's handing out balloon animals, but she doesn't know how to make them. <laughs> so, I love this moment. <laughs> so we get um, snake worm and spaghetti. And, and then, caterpillar. Oh yeah, sorry. And caterpillar for Matt. And then we cut to Miranda, who is, as we mentioned, dressed as the cat in the hat. And Gordo is, um, I wrote in my notes something. Like, I, we really had to go back and be like, what is Gordo supposed to be? Yeah, so, Ivan, <laughs> did you know what I uh, what Gordo was supposed to be? I, I didn't, but and I didn't even make an effort to look it up. But, but like, I, I had half a mind to think, like, is this like a David Lynch character? <laughs> That's kind of what I thought too, but when I searched it online, apparently he's a windswept reporter, which was not going to be my first guess. No, not at all. (laughs) Because his tie is sort of stuck flying away, so is his hair, so I get where they're coming from, but I, I had hoped that someone would say, oh Gordo, you came as this, because it was not obvious. Yeah, and so, like, if we can just jump into what else is happening in the scene. So, so Gordo's playing one of the games at the booths that Miranda is uh, facilitating, and he wins, a, like, an, a coupon that is worth, like, you know, some really kind of cheap, like, bottom shelf pri- uh, prizes. And his choi- choice is a hair scrunchie or what's called a burger buddy, which is in the shape of a, bottle, a bobblehead. I'm perplexed that as to how those two things are at the same price point. I mean, I think he made the right choice, though. Given those two choices, you got to go with the burger oh, buddy. 1,000%. But but the other thing is also, in order for him to get the, the prize that he wanted, Miranda says that he would have had to cash in something like over 300 coupons, <laughs> which like is it, which is this party even going to last long <laughs> enough for somebody to accumulate that many? 
I mean, especially someone who's going to disappear halfway through the party. He's never going to get there. Which which also brings up the question is like, are Miranda and Gordo in on it at this point? Because if so, like they're just wasting time and not really kind of getting into position here. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I agree. Unless this was part of the plan. Well, that burger buddy becomes important. Yeah, the burger buddy is very important because that is Gordo, essentially. Yeah. Would we rather have Gordo or the, bur- <laughs> or the burger buddy for the rest of the series? <laughs> Marissa. <laughs> In my, like, 10-year-old brain, Gordo evolves, so we'll keep him. Yeah, and I I know, like, a couple, you know, minutes ago, I probably sounded like a real Gordo apologist, but, like, he is an annoying twerp. Like, like going back (laughs) and watching this show 20 years later, like, I mean, it's conceptually, I feel bad for what they, uh, you know, did to him and with him. But, yeah, there's just nothing enjoyable about watching this guy. Especially when... Lizzie's like, oh, take a look at Kate. Can you believe her? Uh, and Gordo just looks over and is like, holy ravioli. First of all, it's holy rigatoni. Yeah, Get it but, right. <laughs> but Sam, she's tall. She's tall and desirable. <laughs> how could I forget? I thought, I mean, how fast he's moved on from Heather, right? I also want to note that Kate is talking to someone dressed up as a football player lame costume but also this this guy looks like 25 oh yeah he looked so old <laughs> and where is ethan craft <laughs> i i don't know um i have an answer for that he is so far away from this episode because he is our unproblematic himbo fave <laughs> <laughs> that's where ethan craft is yeah so then matt walks over eating the tamale oh no oh, no was, so was this part of the plan or was this an accident i think the reboot's gonna address that <laughs> 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 we're gonna go back to the day of our uh, night of the day of the dead episode to clarify everything that happened was there a supernatural element did matt mean to eat the tamale <laughs> two big we're gonna questions. see the episode through miranda's parents perspective that would be real interesting because like were they hiding this whole time did they show up halfway through the party i don't know this is actually the clip i did want to play oh, the yeah. one the one where miranda is yelling at matt over the tamale. Let's play the clip. This is a good tamale. Need more of them? Where did you get that? Over there where the skeletons are getting married. You ate the food offering of the Day of the Dead? You stole the sacred meal of my dead ancestors? It had cheese on it. Do you know what you've done? You have offended the spirits. You have opened the door to this world and the next. You have unleashed the, the dark, angry forces of the restless dead. Way to go, Beefhead. All right, let's not get carried away here. Day of the Dead's a holiday, just like any other holiday. Matt, all you did was eat a tamale. You didn't wake up any supernatural forces. Good. Whoa! Hey, what happened to my lemonade? It, Whoa. it turned black. What's that? That was lemonade. It was. Now it smells all moldy and rotten and dead. Kate? Did you move the bride and groom skeleton? So to answer your previous question, I do think that that was planned. I think that Miranda is very clearly making a show of yelling at Matt to get Kate's attention here. Is part of the plan also for Gordo to be like 
oh, it's not that bad. Gordo's got a Gordo. We can't explain it sometimes. (laughs) Well, the plan also kind of falls apart if they fail to get Kate's attention at this point. Because, like, she all of a sudden seems very captivated by what's going on. But, like, they're at a party where presumably there is music playing. We're just not hearing it. And it's pretty loud. And they're, you know, at least a good... 10 feet away. So I, I'm really wondering here what they would have done if they had failed to, uh, you know, get her attention with this. So question, how did they make the lemonade turn black? Mr. And Mrs. Sanchez are prop designers in Hollywood. I thought <laughs> we established this. That is something that doesn't make a lot of sense. They show the lemonade and it starts to bubble and you're like, what's happening? And then I wonder, did it really start to smell weird or was Matt just saying that? But it had to have smelled weird enough that Kate was like, oh, I'll make fruit punch. And I think that this is where it becomes very interesting how much they anticipated what Kate would do, right? Because later on, they need there to be fruit punch in order for it to represent blood so Kate will dump it all over herself. But how did they know that Kate would substitute the lemonade for fruit punch and not just get more lemonade? Sam. Is that a plot hole? Oh my god, are we are we sensing plot holes in this episode? <laughs> first one of the whole series. <laughs> Definitely not. In the first, I think in the first episode we we played that sound probably 3 or 4 times. We were like plot hole, plot hole, plot hole. But yeah, that feels like a plot hole. But then we get to the second supernatural element of this episode. The bride and groom skeleton disappear. They're gone. And then they appear to be exiting the gym on foot, human-sized. Yeah. the So so they grew, and then they left. They did. And this is one of my favorite Miranda lines. She says, the spirits are awake. (laughs) Evil and doom walk the night. And then we keep going. Now, Gordo has Kate's attention. She's saying that there must be an explanation for the black lemonade. And he's like, eh. It's cafeteria food. And this is where we get to replacing the lemonade with punch um, because she doesn't want anything ruining her party as if that ship isn't already. This is where the plot really starts to unfold because Lizzie approaches Gordo and Kate and tells them that Matt has disappeared. This also felt weird to me that we didn't see this, but this show has set a precedent of things happening like not on screen and then just coming back and declaring that they happened. So it was a little off for me, but not inconsistent with the tone of the show. But anyways, Lizzie says that Larry told her that Matt disappeared and is now a cup full of dust. And they know this because his eye is in that cup of dust. It for some reason did not disintegrate. Well, it was like the prop eye, like the costume. Yes. Not his actual eye, the prop eye. (laughs) (laughs) Just clarify our eyes here. So, so at this point, Kate has seen the, the skeletons uh, supposedly come to life and walk out the door. Like now, But imagine like if she hadn't seen that and like somebody tried to convince her that Matt had been turned into a cup of dirt, like how little reason she would have to believe that there was anything legitimate going on. Like <laughs> all of this like is very dependent on her like observing every single thing that they have meticulously planned. And even if one of those uh, observations goes unnoticed, like the whole plan unravels. Yeah, absolutely. And then Gordo's like, you're just getting hysterical. Love that. (laughs) Love that so much. You love Gordo calling people hysterical. Yeah, calling women hysterical. (laughs) 
And he then yells at the spirits and tells them to turn him into dust. Like, he starts mocking the spirits. Well, because again, uh, Day of the Dead is just like any other holiday, according to him. Assuming that Gordo is part of the whole ruse, there's absolutely no reason for him to be as insensitive toward the, the holiday and the culture as he's being. He's being incredibly dismissive for someone who is supposedly in on the whole thing. I also want to note here that in a classic, um, you know, Lizzie is a narcissist, she talks about Matt disappearing in the context of how upset her parents are going to be with her if Matt disappears. Zero concern. Granted, she's in on this plan, but then why is she saying these things? That's a good point. So if Lizzie's in on this whole plan, why is cartoon Lizzie acting like there is no plan? Like that just came to me now, but like what? (laughs) Because cartoon Lizzie is supposed to be the inner thoughts. Like the inner thought would be like, this plan is working perfectly. And in that, I think we have our second plot hole. (laughs) (laughs) Is this the first time that uh, Cartoon Lizzie has been an unreliable narrator? (laughs) Definitely not the first time. (laughs) Yeah, because Cartoon Lizzie is supposed to be truth. She's supposed to be what's really going on in Lizzie's head. By that account, yeah, she should be giving us the behind the scenes. But then again, the joke is really on the audience at the end. So, and that, Ivan, is why you love this episode. <laughs> I mean, it stuck with me like 19 years later that they tried to pull this on us. Okay. All right, so we're back to the B story. We are. It's been a while, but we're back here. <laughs> so, yes, we're back at Lizzie's house. We're in the living room, and there are an obscene amount of candles <laughs> set up. Um, it's like Bachelor Fantasy Suite level amount of candles going on in their living room. Do, do, do Sam and Joe make a reference in this scene to uh, like it being, I think, eight o'clock and saying that all the trick-or-treaters should be done at this point? They do, yes. Like how, like that is prime time for trick-or-treating. Like if their entire like plan here was like, oh, we'll wait out the trick-or-treaters and then once it's eight o'clock, like we'll have privacy time. Like that's a bad plan. Yeah, and you would think they would be well aware of trick-or-treating patterns as parents of children in the age dem and like the like demographic well yeah and then sure enough it's not too early for like a 15 year old kid (laughs) who knocks on the door looking for candy the knife guy this is a direct quote now i'm the knife guy now give me some candy old man tiktok and they don't have any more candy they plan to have their candy just run through till eight o'clock so joe gives the knife guy chicken pot pie which is particularly upsetting because he's a vegetarian yeah he's also a vegetarian i can imagine getting a chicken pot pie and being like no that's a terrible halloween (laughs) this is why their neighborhood is not highly regarded as a good trick-or-treating area there's random ladies giving out chicken pot pies it's not good so do we think the caviar is for later it's got to be right maybe 8 30 break out the caviar (laughs) (laughs) They played this wrong. The move here, if you want nobody to interrupt you, is to put out an empty bowl, right? Because then it's like, oh, there really was no candy. Everybody took the candy. Yeah. Or you have to do like lights out and like hide somewhere, like go somewhere. Just pretend you're not home. I mean, they could do lights out and that would make full use of the candles. How are you really going to appreciate the candles if you don't go lights out? You're right. (laughs) I don't know. This B story keeps on keeping on and... Before we know it, we are back in the gym 
At this point, I put in parentheses in my notes that everything is going off the rails. Except it's really not. <laughs> everything is going right on plan. Yes. Right on schedule. Yes. Kate becomes very insistent that everything's fine. This is all just superstition. Gordo starts yelling for help. And he has a sort of like what like modulated voice now. Like Yeah, they've um really toned down on the bass and boosted the highs. So it sounds like he's trapped inside of the burger buddy. What do you mean it sounds like he is? Like he is Sorry, trapped. he is trapped inside the burger buddy. And so when Kate and Miranda knock the burger buddy off the table in a physical altercation, might I add, like like physic fisticuffs. Gordo, a.k.a. Burger Buddy, flies off the table and shatters into many, many pieces. And then, okay, this is something that didn't make sense to me. So then Lizzie, who's been respectful of Day of the Dead this entire time, walks in and she is a zombie. She's possessed. Why are the spirits mad at Lizzie? That's a great question. Uh, the the mind just reels, you know? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I've got nothing. I, I, I. No, n- none of it adds up. None of it. <laughs> and Lizzie's big message as a zombie is that rubber is bad, but a mace is good. And so she grabs a mace and just rubber, starts... Rubber, bad, <laughs> mace, good. And just starts hitting things off of the tables. A-, a-, a mace that is probably made of rubber, by the way. Yeah, it's absolutely made rubber of rubber. Rubber or plastic, yeah. To which, um, yeah, Kate's really getting screamy now. And Miranda says that this is the second worst Halloween party she's ever been to. So many questions. That was a great <laughs> line. Like, that that was the kind of, like, ironic humor that, like, 11-year-old me did appreciate. Like, th- yeah. that was pretty, pretty top-notch for Disney Channel. That also has to be something that they'll visit on the reboot, right? We'll find out what Miranda's <laughs> number one worst Halloween party was. I hope so. It probably occurred during the episode she was absent. So from there, we are back at the McGuire house, and Sam and Joe are getting a little cuddly. Um, And the doorbell, we can just, like, cruise past that. The doorbell won't stop ringing, and Sam gets up to answer it, and he gets the chicken pot pie in the face. So clearly it's from the kid from before, although we never see him. Uh, We just see the chicken pot pie hitting Sam in the face, and... The kid's message is, get some candy next time, fatso. And the irony of someone calling someone else a fatso but demanding candy was not lost on me. <laughs> and then Joe's upset because that was a good chicken pot pie. Yeah. Then why'd he give it away? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess good. because caviar. Caviar. caviar was the plan. I will also say that like Sam and Joe can eat chicken pot pie and probably cuddle on the couch any night of the year like and have it not really be a thing. Like, the fact that they needed private privacy and a whole lot of planning to execute this is a little perplexing. What time do you think it is at this point? I think it's still early. Like, how long do you think this kid waited outside holding a chicken pot pie? And then he was like, okay, it's time. Ring the doorbell, ring the doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw this in your face. Well, I will say there there is no way a middle school party like on like school grounds is going past 9 o'clock. Yeah, that's true. That's a good that's a good point. So they don't have that much time. Why are they wasting it watching a movie? It's a great point. But there's still, you know, some spirits being enraged at the at the middle school yeah. to get back to. Miranda is now Kate's only lifeline. And they 
run and hide in the dungeon. This was convenient. Like, if Kate had never decided to go into the dungeon, this whole plan falls apart once again. Another pivotal thing that has to work correctly. Because otherwise, Miranda's parents are just waiting in the closet forever. Do we think that there's any way those that were in on the plan were expecting Kate to fulfill her duties as the vampire mistress and actually be in the dungeon earlier in the evening and start scaring her earlier on? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I also, it's been weighing on me a lot that this dungeon is underutilized. Well, underutilized in that nobody visited. Yeah. (laughs) No one did what they were supposed to do. Yeah, Vampira wasn't at her post. Yeah, I guess there's no point visiting when Vampira is not there. Yeah. So Kate and Miranda are hiding in the dungeon. Possessed Lizzie has followed them and is very aggressively banging on this door. So much so that she breaks the doorknob at one point. She's strong. She doesn't know her own strength. She's a rhythmic gymnast. It's true. But yeah, we get hints that something is going to happen because we keep getting these weird camera angles of somebody watching them from behind, like almost like they're peeking through a closet or something. When we saw this and we heard the heavy breathing, I was like, this is Larry Tudgman, right? (laughs) He broke out his Darth Vader impression earlier. We heard the deep breathing. And I thought this was going to be Touchman. That would have been so much better. <laughs> I mean, at least he was like in the universe, right? Well, he he had clear motive too. The more I think about it, the, the more implausible it is that they got everybody together uh, and in on this ruse. Like what was Matt's incentive for participating in this? Like he his, his whole job is to make Lizzie's life miserable. Like did they approach him and say like, hey, we need you to devote the entirety of your evening toward this little you know, kind of ploy that we're trying to execute. Now that you say it, it would make a lot more sense if it was Larry, because Larry is constantly shot down by Kate when they had to do that project where they were like adults 20 years in the future or whatever. She was so mean to him. She just totally snubbed him. There is so much more motive for Larry than for Mr. and Mrs. Sanchez. There's more motive for David Carradine. <laughs> <laughs> David Carradine as well. But then at this point, Miranda is explaining to Kate that there are ways to now calm the spirits. And it has to do with covering yourself in graveyard dirt and blood to be, you know, closer, closer to the spirits. And it can also be symbolic. It doesn't necessarily need to be real dirt and real blood. And this is where everything that has happened before starts to become very clear to us as the audience. We're like, oh, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Because Kate can cover herself in punch and chocolate cake, and that will do it. Yeah. So Miranda is very like, let's get back into the gym. Kate says that she'd rather stay in there. At least they're safe. And that is when the big scare happens. And the big scare didn't need to be Miranda's parents. It really could have been anybody. It's so disappointing. (laughs) <laughs> like I, I'm also getting more and more upset the more we, the more we're talking about this. Really, you're get, Why are you getting upset? Because it's so unnecessary bringing the parents into it. Just like no parent would do that. No parent would be like, hey, you know what's a good idea? Let's use our culture to humiliate a child. Not to mention that by the time that uh, Miranda is having Kate like rub herself with chocolate cake and fruit punch. Miranda is just straight up making a mockery of her own culture at that time. Yeah. So, you know, it starts to go real off the rails. Kate dumps her her face into the punch, cake all over herself. 
And then just lets Miranda start to kind of like tell her to do all of these things to humiliate her. And that's when, you know, Matt and Gordo pop out. They haven't actually been turned into dirt and a burger buddy. It's all been a prank. Yeah, it's really mean. I'm really hard pressed to to come up with an MVP once we get to that section. Well, you still have a little bit more time to think about it. And then the Maguires get into a pranking mood themselves. In these final moments, they want to get that child, again, pranking children. <laughs> they want to get back that kid. You don't insult Joe's chicken pot pie. They get, like, a water hose. Uh, yeah, the, the the physics of what they're doing aren't completely sound, because I think... Like the hose is almost acting as more of a fan and trying to, I, it almost looked like oats that they were also throwing yeah. onto the Sanchez's. And the yeah, somehow the hose was simultaneously like making the oats stick to the Sanchez's while also propelling them in that direction, which that, that plan is even more ridiculous than what the rest of the gang tonight was doing. Gotta love a hose inside your home though. This last scene made no sense to me. So they came by to drop off Miranda's sleeping bag so that Miranda can sleep over. But the party's not over yet. Well, also like Sam and Joe were planning on having an intimate night and like what time <laughs> were they expecting the kids to get home, including Miranda? <laughs> I, that, yeah, I mean, all of that. But in addition, like, you would think that Miranda and Lizzie would be with them because they all just came from the school. Right. And I think I remember even making like mental note of that earlier in the episode where uh, Miranda's mom tells her like, uh, you know, you you have fun tonight and we'll we'll see you at home. Like, how are these kids getting around town? I, I ask myself yeah. that all the time. They're like one scene. They'll be like, I need to be at the weird cafe in like 10 minutes. And then they're just there. Yeah, we talk about the lot. We we get really in the weeds about this town, where it is, how they're getting around, what is going on in this universe. Yeah. I think that's it. It's a, it's a very underwhelming ending, isn't it? Like it's a, it's a weird conclusion. Yeah. Like it feels like a weird note to end on. Yeah, I definitely didn't need it to end with Sam and Joe McGuire. And you don't really see the fallout of like what happens after they they execute the prank on uh Kate, like, you know, you, you don't see her, you know, being remorseful. You don't see her, like, storming out. Uh, you don't get to witness the years of therapy she's going to have to undergo after this. Like, it, like there, there's really just no no ramifications to anything they've done. There really never is. I think that's come up a lot too, right? Yeah, where there's no resolution. Yeah. They're just like, oh, 20 minutes is up. That's the end. That's the end. So there you have it. Episode 124, Night of the Day of the Dead. And now we get to talk about some outfits. Yes. So, Ivan, as the outfit repeaters, every episode we break down some of the outfits that the characters wore in the episode. So our first outfit is from Kate at the, uh, I guess, party planning committee, um, breaking out the turtleneck. How do we feel about Kate's turtleneck? I'm fine with the turtleneck. Actually, wait, I just realized that it's short sleeves and a turtleneck, so I do have an opinion about that. <laughs> you don't like short sleeve turtlenecks. Turtlenecks are for, like, cozy season. Also, if you're in California, you're, you presumably would not have much of a need for turtlenecks. Ivan, do you like a good short sleeve turtleneck? Not really, and, and I feel like Kate doesn't really dress her age. Like, between the hairstyle and the outfits, like, uh, she she's displaced from time. Yeah, it doesn't really fit the 2000s. Let's talk about later on in the episode, 
they're setting up the gymnasium. Miranda's parents are leaving, and Lizzie walks in in an ep- uh, an outfit that I'm pretty sure we've seen before. Am I am I correct? Yes, we have definitely seen um, that leopard print top. I think with this purple sweatshirt. With even. the purple sweatshirt. I think it's all we've seen all of that before. I respect this as a choice. I think that um, I too went through a significant cheetah phase in the early 2000s, although mine correlated specifically with the cheetah girls. And this is a little bit before that. Yeah. So I don't know where the inspiration is coming from, but <laughs> they were beta testing. <laughs> That's fair. They were like, well, the cheetah girls work. Let's send Lizzie out and see. Yeah, the Cheetah Girls might have been in production, or at least in pre-production. Um, and then how do we feel about Kate's outfit here? She's got very fluffy sleeves. You know what I realize, and I, maybe I'm realizing this right now, but you know that we talked about Come Fly With Me already, and like that overboard, like, domestic look of that episode, but that's kind of Kate's aesthetic all the time. Suburban mom? Yeah. <laughs> Kate has a very suburban mom vibe. Yeah, from like a completely different era. Yeah, I get that. That's kind of what you were saying, Ivan, I guess. Let's dive into some Halloween costumes. So I'm going to start with Matt McGuire. Matt McGuire is dressed as himself inside out. How did he do? I I thought he did fine. Um, Again, he didn't really incorporate any edible elements into the costume like he was planning to. I would have loved to see what he would have done there. But um, otherwise, I I think he definitely has one of the more solid costumes at the party. Yeah, I mean, he had a plan. He executed it. He indeed looks like himself, but inside out. I mean, what more could you ask for in a costume? And it's the most innovative costume by far. I definitely think that he did a good job i'm not sure if he incorporated the sausage or not i hope not but it's a good costume i it doesn't look like it it does not look like it i i approve of this costume next costume gotta be lizzie as a clown which i don't understand again we mentioned this earlier why this is mandatory because it seems like everybody else chose their costume and lizzie was assigned to be this clown b plus b plus a b plus clown (laughs) Yeah, I yeah, B plus clown. She doesn't have any face paint. I feel like when you're a clown, you've got to do the face paint, right? Would her um, score have gone up if she was able to make balloon animals? Yeah, I'd bump her score up. I don't know. Ivan, what do you think? Well, uh, going back to the face paint for a second, actually, like, isn't that the part of clowns that we all hate the most? So the fact that she chose to to not incorporate that into her whole ensemble actually makes the whole thing, I think, a little bit more palatable. But I thought that was the point. Like, if you're a clown, you want to be scary. And then you can do the Joker thing where you're, like, playing with your mouth. Actually, you bring up an interesting point because once she turns into a zombie clown, she actually does have some makeup on her face that's absent earlier on in the party. Oh, that's a good point. So... (laughs) The transformation. I like her much better as zombie clown. I think zombie clown is a much better look. Is she wearing a ring pop? It looks like she's wearing (laughs) a ring pop. Oh, I see it. Yep, those are ring pops. All right, uh, Cat in the Hat, underreported story. Miranda is here dressed as the Cat in the Hat, Marissa's favorite ride at Universal Studios. Um, Excuse me, I believe that's your favorite ride at Universal <laughs> Studios. Love a good Cat in the Hat ride. That ride is truly terrifying. That ride is scarier than Miranda's costume. It's bonkers. Um, Miranda does a good Cat in the Hat. I think this is an A costume. I think it's one of the less cheap-looking costumes uh, at the party. Like th- This actually seems like some money went into it. The level of detail is great. She's got the gloves even. I, I, I approve. Gordo is a windswept reporter. I okay, so here's my thing. I have I have a lot of feelings about this because 
the premise is there and like I see I get it now right like looking at you're like okay and like maybe it makes sense for Gordo to have the like obscure costume in the group but it became distracting for me it took me out of the moment because I was very fixated on what is Gordo supposed to be when everybody else's costume was otherwise so clear he might be Frank Sinatra in a tornado you never know yeah that's what I would have guessed before windswept reporter yeah and then finally, last outfit that I want to bring up today has got to be Vampirina. Vampira. Oh, sorry. Vamp. <laughs> what did you say? Sorry. Vampirina is a children's show on Disney, uh, on Disney Channel now. She's like a cartoon vampire. Kate as Vampira. I mean, that's certainly one of the more... Um, slinky? Slinky looks. <laughs> <laughs> She's done some makeup work too, right? Yeah, she puts the effort into the makeup that Lizzie does not. But she has the kind of hairstyle that her character seems like she would just have at school on any given day. That's true. So Ivan, what would you rate this costume? Uh, on a scale of one to Slinky? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I mean, there's not really any vampire fangs in play here, right? Like, like what about this costume is even vampiric? Not much. Yeah, so C minus. This, I think, is a good segue to the question that we got today. Yes, we did get a question from Kelsey. Kelsey's question is back and in play. Do you have Kelsey's question pulled up, Marissa? Kelsey's question is, what's been your favorite costume you've worn, Halloween or or other? My favorite Halloween costume has got to be my Halloween costume from last year. Very underrated costume, I believe, but I dressed up as Jason Mendoza from The Good Place. I'm even... In honor of this question, I'm wearing my DJ Music hat right now, and I just think it was a great costume. I went online, ordered a Blake Bortles jersey from when he was on the Jacksonville Jaguars, found some crazy monk pants. I was full Jason Mendoza. It was a great costume, and the problem (laughs) is, okay, so the plan was Sam was going to be Jason Mendoza, And I was going to be Bad Janet. And it was supposed to be a couple's costume, which is unique for us because we never do Halloween or couple's costumes. Also, they're not a couple. Marissa didn't get the purple dress to be. Yeah, I was I really like slacked. I mean, like the Bad Janet costume is just easier. (laughs) Just all black leather jacket. (laughs) done I like I said we don't really do Halloween like I wasn't willing to put the investment into a good Janet outfit that Sam was willing to put into you just wanted to dress the same way that Kate did right exactly but it was a good people at the so this is where the problem happened though was we got invited to multiple parties that fell on the same night and so we ended up going to two different parties so we were never in the same place at the same time. Ivan, any costumes coming to mind for you that you're ex- uh, ex- especially proud of? Proud might be going a little bit too far. Um, uh, a couple years ago, I did dress as something that I'm not really going to give a name to. Um, but um, a- as an Eastern European, um, I felt the inkling to kind of lean into a cultural stereotype and uh, dress up in a t- tank top, Adidas tracksuit and chain necklace. Nice. It was a hit. I appreciate that. I like that costume. All right, Marissa, can we can we go into MVP? Are you ready? Yes. It's the moment that you seem to have been waiting for. So let's do it. Ivan, who is your MVP? Yeah, my MVP was the uh, suburban taxi driver that gave him a ride home at the end. A suburban taxi driver. I like that. Do you want me to go, Marissa? Yes. It's got to be Miranda. 
I think, right? Like, there's very few choices, but I think Miranda just takes it. She's the only person from this episode who had a clip that made it to the soundboard. <laughs> and she had the best costume. She had the best costume, underrated story. And so, and I think in an episode, you know, that pays respect to the, the Day of the Dead. Eh, I mean. That, that mentions the Day of the Dead. <laughs> uh, Got to go to Miranda. Marissa, who's your MVP this episode? Yeah, that's, that is honestly who I was leaning towards, too. Was Miranda. Was Miranda. You could, give, you could throw it at Lanny for just staying out of this whole mess. You think Matt was like, hey, Lanny, you want to come to this party as well? And Lanny was like, mm-mm. Yeah, I actually do feel more inclined to give it to Lanny or someone. Like, I would even give it to, like, Ethan Kraft because he did truly avoid the mess. Wow, this is unprecedented. You're giving an MVP to Ethan Kraft in an episode he was not even in. Well, so I hear <laughs> what you're saying about Miranda, and, like, by all accounts, it sh- this should be her episode, right? Like, this should be her MVP moment, but then... You know, when she starts making a mockery of her own culture at the end with Kate, that sort of undermines it for me. So yeah. that's why I have a tough time handing it to Miranda. So you're giving it to Ethan Kraft? Unproblematic fave. So we have <laughs> Ethan Kraft, Miranda, and Suburban Taxi Driver <laughs> as our MVPs of this episode. Cool. So that is that on episode 124, Night of the Day of the Dead, featuring our very first guest... Of the outfit repeaters, Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, thank you so much for joining yeah, us today. Thank you for letting me defend my dissertation. <laughs> Ivan, if people want to find you on social, is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, I actually did claim uh, my first name, last name on both Twitter and Instagram, so I'm easy to find. Cool. And then in terms of the podcast, you know, same story. Follow us on Twitter at Outfit Repeat Pod. You can email us at outfitrepeaters at gmail.com. I feel better about pushing this now that I've updated the website, but we're going to upload the photos of the outfits that we talked about today on www.paginatedmedia.com slash outfit repeaters if you want to check those out there. And be sure to tune in next week for episode 125, Facts of Life. Facts of Life. Good stuff. I think you need to recycle your attitude, young lady.